fewer than 600 people have ever gone to space. Most of them have been white men. In fact, it's not even close. Only 67 have been women. And NASA has sent just 15 Black Americans to space. Last summer, in the midst of Black Lives Matter protests around the world, NASA, with SpaceX, launched two men as the first ever crew members in the Dragon capsule. It struck me at the time that there was a pretty clear analogy between this launch and the Apollo 11 mission that brought people to the moon for the first time in 1969. Both moments in American history were marked by civil rights struggles and historic missions to space that felt completely disconnected from them. It made me think a lot about Gil Scott Heron's 1970 poem, Whitey on the Moon, and the incredible disconnect between the space industry and the lives of ordinary people. I can't pay no doctor bills, but Whitey's on the moon. Ten years from now, I'll be paying still while Whitey's on the moon. You know, the man just up my rent last night because Whitey's on the moon. No hot water, no toilets, no lights, but Whitey's on the moon. Last summer, I even asked Elon Musk about the juxtaposition of the launch and the protests. First question comes from Miriam Kramer. Kramer. I was just wondering, so this launch has often been referred to as a moment of hope for the nation, but it's also happening against the backdrop of protests and demonstrations around the country today. I wonder what you want to say to those people out there protesting. Is this launch for them, too? Thanks. This is a day that is that I think uh, everyone can be proud of, that uh, it's, it's a good day to be. This event is something that any, all, all of humanity can get excited about. Um, it's just a fundamentally positive, good thing. Um, and, uh, you know, I think we need, we need more positive, good things in this world. Space can often be imagined as a blank slate, a place of limitless freedom. But that isn't guaranteed. What happens on Earth is reflected in space. And that includes racism, sexism, ableism, and other forms of discrimination. And it starts with who gets to go. In earlier eras, two members of the Inspiration4 crew would have had very little chance of making it to space. The selections of Cyan Proctor and Haley Arsenault to go to space with this private mission are historic. Cyan will be the first Black female pilot of a spacecraft, and Haley will be the first person with a prosthesis. I've spent months getting to know them, speaking with their families, learning about their personal histories and how they each arrived at this moment and I found out why this mission matters to them. Both Haley and Cyan had ambitions of going to space that were dashed, in different ways and at different points in their lives. That's why their selection as crew members is so extraordinary. And it's also why Inspiration4 signals a new era in space. I'm Miriam Kramer. From Axios, this is how it happened, the next astronauts. Part two, the new right stuff. If you can't breathe, let's stop sucking out the air of our humanity. We have a moment to seize the light, Earth from space, both day and night. This is from the video that won Cyan Proctor a trip to space. This is it. It's here. This is what I've been waiting for. I've been training for. These are all of the signs of my life coming together. Science story starts in 1970. 
She was born within a year of Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin landing on the moon. Space had captured the American imagination. I was born on Guam because my father was working at the NASA tracking station during the Apollo missions. Her father had been a contractor for NASA during that dawn of the space age. He kept a thank you note from Neil Armstrong on his office wall. And my dad bought me my first telescope. Um, he bought me binoculars, understanding the constellations, um, looking for the northern lights. Her love of space continued through childhood into high school when she started to organize her life around becoming an astronaut. Just always loved the idea of being an astronaut, um, but I always saw it through the military. I, I, I mean, that's what the Apollo astronauts were. Every, you know, when you think about early human spaceflight, it was as test pilots in the military, all male, all white. Uh, but that didn't discourage me. I wanted to be a fighter pilot, and then fighter pilots became astronauts. I mean, that's the natural progression of like, oh, I'll become a military aviator. Thinking like, how hard can it be, right? You go to the Air Force Academy, how hard could that be? Uh, not even realizing that there were no like black, not only women fighter pilots when I was 13, 14, you know, dreaming about this, but also no black female uh, military pilots. But I got glasses, I was around 15. And you couldn't be a military aviator in the 80s if you didn't have 20-20 vision. But her eyesight didn't stop her from becoming a pilot. She found a workaround and joined the Civilian Air Patrol, a volunteer organization that helps out during disasters. And then my dad got sick with terminal cancer. Cyan was a senior in high school when he was diagnosed. Her dad had always encouraged her to get a college degree because he didn't have one. So I just went off to college a little angry, kind of like an angry teenager. Cyan's dad died after her freshman year. Kind of my driving role model um, was gone, and and I kind of didn't have this dream, this childhood dream of like going to the military and being an aviator. And it took me a while to figure out what my what my love was and what I really wanted to do. She kept going with school and got her master's in geology and a PhD in science education. And so I was kind of living this life of a geoscientist explorer, traveling and teaching around the world and um, just doing things like bungee jumping and scuba diving. At 38, someone's like, NASA's looking for astronauts, you should apply. That dream she'd once had wasn't totally out of reach anymore. And I didn't know how NASA even selected astronauts. And I had always thought I wasn't smart enough to be like an astronaut that wasn't through the military because I just, to me, they were bigger than life. And they went to MIT and I went to a state school in Pennsylvania for my undergrad. And so when I looked at the qualifications and realized that I had almost all of them, I was like, wow, I'm actually kind of qualified for this job. She made it to the final round of selections, but she wasn't picked. And when that no comes in and you've come this close to this obscure childhood dream that you thought was had slipped through your fingers, you kind of have a little bit of a breakdown. <laughs> I remember my best friend getting me and being like, okay, let's watch, you know, romantic comedies and eat junk food and it's going to be okay. After wallowing for a bit, Cyan decided to make herself undeniable to NASA. 
so they couldn't say no again. It became a challenge. She enrolled in a master's in space studies, another degree. She gets advanced scuba training, more flying training. But then, at some point, she realized something. And I wasn't happy by trying to change myself and forcing myself to fit the mold of what I thought NASA wanted for me to be. And, and really, it was the start of trying to come to peace with, I may never be an astronaut, but I can play an astronaut on Earth. She spent four months in Hawaii on a simulated Mars mission for research purposes. She became a professor at a community college. She settled down a little bit. She got married. And then last year happened. 2020 was challenging in so many ways. She started the year in classic cyan fashion. Living in the first all-female Mars simulation. She wrapped that up and had plans to climb Everest with friends. She was looking forward to celebrating a huge milestone at the end of March. I'm turning fabulous, 50, it's going to be great. And then COVID took over the world, and we went into lockdown basically a week before my 50th birthday. Her 50th birthday celebration was canceled. It was a period of reflection in a lot of ways. This was all happening during Black Lives Matters, and what was my role in all of this and finding my voice at age 50 um, when I had been taught my entire life to not step out of line and to be as white and as assimilated as possible and just experiences as a, a black scientist and wanting to be part of that conversation but not really knowing how to find my voice. Meanwhile, I found myself basically locked in my house um, with my um, husband, we had just become roommates. Uh, you know, it had just been one of those things. We got along just fine, but there wasn't anything more there anymore. And I asked my husband of five years for a divorce in August of 2020. I had to give up everything. I bankrupted myself. I moved out of our house and I moved into my brother who I hadn't lived with in 30 years. And so him and his um, wife welcomed me with open arms. And I, I went from a 2,000 plus square foot home with my own office in it and stuff to a bedroom in my brother's house. As she got back on her feet, she made space-themed art and sold a few pieces. And then she found out about a competition to go to space. I was like, okay, I'm going to apply for this. Cyan turned her nascent space art business into her entry for the entrepreneurship contest to win a seat aboard the Inspiration4 capsule. Part of her pitch was that concept of Jedi space, space justice and diversity. She sent in that video of her reciting her poem. Then she found out that she'd finally get her chance to fly to space. And just before she was announced to the world as a future astronaut, she told her family on Zoom. I thought it was odd right away, because I'm like, well, she turned 50 a year before. Is, why are we doing this call? You know, I'm like, what is, this is crazy. That's Chris Proctor, one of Cyan's brothers. When she started, you know, breaking down, obviously we didn't know at that point what she was going to tell us. I swear, I thought she had, like, she's going to say she had cancer or she had something. Because I'd never seen her. I'm like, oh my God, what are you crying for? I said, hey, I just want you guys to know that 
I have been selected uh, to go to space on SpaceX rocket. And we were all like, what? <laughs> you know? And my brothers lost it. I think the, you know, internet like dropped for a second. What'd you say? You know? But then it was just like, hey, this is what she's been waiting for her entire life. It, seriously, this is what she's dreamed about and it's coming true. The Apollo 11 flight is memorable because my dad did so much work on that. Um, for them to launch from the Apollo 11 pad, it's just crazy, you know? It's just like, this is like a movie script, kind of like, what? You know, and this is really happening to, you know, Cyan and our families included in this now. So it's going to be pretty cool. And now she'll be the first Black female pilot of a spacecraft. But the work isn't over. The door opened. And now the hard work began because it was like, okay, yeah, here's the opportunity. Now you've got to become a dragon flyer and you've got to do it as a Black female where everything we do has to be bigger, better, harder, and successful. Because if we slip, then it comes crumbling down. People will say, you were, you were never qualified. You know, you, they'll compare you to the white male fighter pilot that has always held that seat. It's a lot of pressure, Sam. It is a lot of pressure, but I recognize it, and I feel like I'm up to the task. There's one more moment of Cyan's journey I want to tell you about. One of the first big training activities the crew took on was this climb up Mount Rainier in Washington State. It's a long, arduous trek through ice and snow. When the crew reached their camp at the end of the hike, Cyan was exhausted and went straight to her tent to sleep. Middle of the night, of course. Yeah, and being a female, you're like, oh, damn it, I gotta use the restroom. And the restroom <laughs> is like down some crazy little path that's all like icy and slippery. And I'm just laying there in bed thinking, hmm, it's one o'clock. Can I make it to morning? <laughs> and of course you can't. And, and so I get out of my sleeping bag and I put on my boots and I get myself ready and all bundled up and I unzip my tent and I step out and looked up and was like, whoa, you know, that dark sky. And to think of, wow, I wonder what that's going to look like from space. We'll be right back. We're back. When you think about a NASA astronaut, what image pops into your mind? It's probably someone who looks kind of like Buzz Lightyear. NASA has, for a long time, tended to select astronauts that all had a certain profile and came from either a military or a scientific background. They've also had stringent physical and health requirements for their astronauts. Till this mission, I couldn't have been a traditional NASA astronaut. The astronauts have really had to be physically perfect. Haley survived childhood cancer. She endured multiple rounds of chemo, and as a result of treatment, has a rod in one of her legs. She'll be the youngest American to go to space and the first with a prosthesis. 
A few months before her diagnosis, Haley's family took a trip to visit NASA. After I visited NASA, I wanted to be an astronaut. Like, who doesn't? Especially after they can see where the astronauts train and, and how um, just how cool it is. She quickly forgot that dream that so many kids have, even for a fleeting moment in childhood. My disease is called osteosarcoma, and it's a bone cancer. This is Haley back in 2002. She was 10. She was treated at St. Jude. It's very serious. If you don't catch it fast, it spreads. I learned the day that she was diagnosed that I had to live one day at a time because it was too overwhelming. Colleen Arsenault, Haley's mom. One time a nurse had given me these, these cards about all, like when her, all her chemos would be. And um, my sister one day saw those and she goes, oh, she's already had, you know, um, like six chemos. She only has six left. And I just almost panicked because I thought, six left? I can't do six more. But it was like, I couldn't think about that. And I, I kind of still live like that. I'm trying to lift my leg like my right leg, but it's, I can't do that yet because my muscle isn't strong enough. This became the defining experience of her life. Really all I've wanted to do since then is work at St. Jude. There was no steering away from that. She knew that ultimately she would be back there hands-on with the, with the patients. But before she returned to St. Jude, Haley traveled the world. She's always had a sense of live life now because there are no promises of the future. I will say that through the years, I have um, put some gray hairs on my mama's head. We kind of had a deal that she would not tell me about some of her experiences until she was home safely. Like some of her adventures in Europe, like getting um, youth hostels and staying there and being out in the um, rural areas of Peru on a bus. So um, I told her, don't tell me till you get home. Then she tells me everything. She wants to visit every continent and has traveled extensively. She went to college to become a physician assistant, and last year she worked in an emergency room during the pandemic. Then St. Jude hired her for her dream job. Meanwhile, Jared Isaacman decided he wanted to give $100 million to St. Jude and make the Inspiration4 mission a fundraiser that would match that donation. On top of that, he wanted St. Jude to pick one of the crew members who would go along for the adventure. The day... I got back to work after my big announcement. I was walking down the hall and this, this mother and daughter, who I hadn't met before, they approached me and, and um, the, the mom had tears in her eyes telling me how much this mission was giving her daughter hope. And that um, the night before her daughter was having a really rough time. And so she shared my story with her daughter and she said that it really helped. And so I, I sat down with them and, uh, and I asked the little girl, I was like, well, what's been going on? And she said that she's recently been feeling discouraged because she can't run or jump. And I told her, you know, I can't run or jump either because of the rod in my leg, but it's not stopping me from going to space. After I met that little girl, I went back to my office like in all the tears because that was just so powerful for me. But this doesn't change the fact that space is risky. 
Saying yes to flying on a rocket would be a difficult decision for any family. The same organization that saved Haley's life was now potentially putting her life in danger. I've trusted St. Jude with her life from the time she was 10 years old. And I know they care about her as well as they care about every single patient that they have. And I don't think that they really would be involved in this if they for one second thought that it was beyond the risk that they're telling us that it really is. When I think about Cyan and Haley's stories, a lot comes to mind. On the one hand, you can see it as evidence that this idealistic dream that eventually everyone will be able to go to space is becoming a reality. But on the other hand, this moment could be a signal that we are simply trading one gatekeeper for another. Instead of NASA deciding who gets to go and when, you have private individuals and private companies choosing who will build humanity's future in space. And yet when Cyan and Haley fly on Inspiration4, they will represent two people who have historically been denied opportunities to go to space. The patients are telling me that they want to be astronauts now. And, you know, I tell them I'll be the first pediatric cancer survivor in space, but I won't be the last. I'm trying to, you know, and be emotionally, physically, mentally um, prepared to, to do this and do this well and, and come back and open, kick that door down for all the women of color who are coming behind me because there's an army of them. As Cyan and Haley train together over the months, I've noticed them form a special bond. I call her my big sis. She calls me her little sis. Um, we definitely have the, um, a closeness by, by being the girls on this, on this crew, but, um, but she's really special as well. I, I couldn't have picked better people to go to space with. She's the, the little sister, you know, that everybody wants to protect, but she's tough as nails. Next time. This might not be actually a survivable situation. Training. How It Happened, The Next Astronauts is reported and produced by Amy Padula, Naomi Shaven, Alice Wilder, and me. Dan Bobkoff is our executive producer. Mixing, sound design, and music supervision by Alex Sugiera. Original music by Michael Hampf. Fact-checking and research by Jacob Knudsen. Allison Snyder is a managing editor and my editor at Axios. And Sarah kahalani Gu is our executive editor. Special thanks to Axios co-founders Mike Allen, Jim Vandehei, and Roy Schwartz. I'm Miriam Kramer. Thanks for listening. Thank you.